Hello, Bookstu viewers. I have a great author with us today. I think you're gonna really enjoy meeting her via Skype from Washington, D.C. And the book she's gonna be talking about is her first novel, which is called Halsey Street. And uh, when I came across this book, it was recommended on one of the 8,000 websites that I check regularly to find out uh, what are the most recommended books. I just, I loved it so much that I just, found her email and emailed her and invited her on, and Naima was kind enough to join me and join us for a half an hour today. But first I'm gonna read you the review that I wrote, and I, as you know, I post all my reviews on librarything.com. So what I said was, this should receive accolades as one of the 10 best novels of 2017 or of any year. The story is movingly told from the point of view, points of view of Penelope, who's half black and half Dominican, and her mother, Mireya, whose loss of her wealthy father at an early age stunts her emotional growth. Also at the center is Ralph Grand, the father, who is the owner of a celebrated Bedford-Stuyvesant Roots record store forced out by the tsunami of Brooklyn gentrification. Penelope had never recovered from her freshman year at RISD, which you're all familiar with, the Rhode Island School of Design, where her art was ridiculed as illustrations, and she's drifted ever since. Maria, after 20 years cleaning homes for wealthy white people, left Ralph after he lost his store and his mojo, and she returned to the Dominican Republic, and has completely cut off contact with him, ignoring his physical deterioration from accidents and his subsequent alcoholism. Penelope reluctantly returns to the neighborhood from Pittsburgh, to help with Ralph's care and is astonished at the changes wrought by the brownstone by brownstone elimination of people of color. Penelope's actions, her decisions, her seeming paralysis and her inability to move on are so perfectly described that the reader will not want to let go. I rarely wish for a sequel when a novel is as complete in itself as this one is, but a return to Halsey Street and to Penelope feels like a necessity to me. Highly recommended. And I'm gonna start with a quote that I picked from the, book, from the book and ask Naima to comment on it. So the quote I chose was, the neighborhood had never been anything more to Penelope than where she was from. So viewers, welcome to Naima Koster, author, and um, I feel a little bit like my friend through her book. Naima, I'm so happy that you're here with us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. Oh, it was it was a pleasure. So uh, let's let's start with the whole gentrification issue, since it's really happening in most big cities, and specifically Brooklyn has been hit very hard. Is that it's almost the center of the novel, even though Penelope says the neighborhood is just where she's from, and kind of minimizes its importance. Its importance to the novel is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I wrote that, I wanted the reader to be somewhat skeptical um, of Penelope's assessment of her own attachment to the neighborhood. And I think that sometimes we resist loving the things that we're afraid won't love us back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Penelope has that stance towards her mother, right? The reader knows how much she longs for her mother who's left. And she also has that stance towards Brooklyn where she's trying to downplay how attached she is to the neighborhood she's from in part because she can see how much her father has lost 
and also because she's not sure where she fits in, whether she's part of this new class of people that are moving in and that she's living with as she rents a home from the Harpers, or whether she fits in with her father and his milieu. And so it's something that she says, I think, to sort of downplay to herself um, how much she needs to belong in the place that she's from. I think art, not necessarily just Penelope's um, artistic skills, but art kind of emanates from the book. You've got uh, Ralph's love of music and the uh, and uh, his record store being the center of the neighborhood because of the music and because he's just a tradition in the neighborhood. You've got Penelope's quote illustrations, which really um, are so much more than that. And you've got Maria's artistic ability as a gardener. So everyone in the family is really, but they're, they don't really come together where the art is, except Penelope does a little bit when she's a little girl and when Ralph brings her to the store. But um, I thought art was very much also a theme of the book. Absolutely. And I think that something all of those characters in the Grand family share is that words often fail them when they're trying to express what they feel for one another or uh, what they want from one another. And so they all turn to their different art forms to express their care. So Mireya can't really connect to her daughter using words across the language barrier. So she plants a rose bush for her. Um, and that's sort of her way of expressing herself. Same thing with Ralph and Penelope. And so I was thinking a lot as I wrote the book about the different tools that we use to connect to others when we can't do it with words or when words feel too vulnerable. And yet this is very much a book of words and words, you know, each one feels chosen specifically. So can you tell us a little bit about your background as a writer? Yes, I can. Um, I'm someone who has written since I was a little girl, but always resisted letting writing be at the center of my life. Um, so I thought that I would be something like a doctor or a lawyer that would be very pleasing to my parents and be a way that I made good on all of my potential um, as a smart girl of color who went to private schools on scholarships. And I knew that I loved reading and I loved writing and I intended to always do it on the side. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and then, writing you, sort then of you hit your first biology class in college and that yeah. was it, right? <laughs> well, I actually, funny story, I actually ended up applying to medical school and getting in, but knew that I would never go. That's how far I sort of went in sort of telling myself this lie about what my life would be like. and But I did, you know, I went from being a bio major to an English major who did pre-med. Um, and I just, it took a long time for me to sort of really commit myself to writing, although I've always done it. Um, I wrote books when I was a girl that were mostly knockoffs of books that I read. Um, so this book has been a long journey for me of learning to accept how very much I want writing at the center of my life. And were, was your family resistant when you decided to give up medical school? I think that they were worried. Um, I think that they saw how very much opportunity I had and you know, rightly asked the question, well, where are you gonna have stability and security and how will that be a part of your life? You could do anything and you choose to do this thing that's riddled with questions and instability. And that is something that I really poured into the book. Um, and so thinking through what it's like to choose something um, artistic as 
how one will spend one's time was something that I definitely poured into Penelope. Um, and so a lot of her restlessness is some of my restlessness at the point in time when I was writing the book and committing myself to something that I never knew what would come of it, whether it would see the light of day. So was this your first, this is your first novel, but is it your first attempt at having a book published or a story published? It's my first attempt at having a book published. Um, I've published a lot of essays um, and a couple of short stories, but this is the first book that I sent out for publication. And as I did that, I knew that a lot of people end up throwing out their first book. Um, and I didn't want to have to do that, but I gave myself a lot of pep talks about the importance of keep continuing to write and to keep going, even if that happened. I'm really glad that it didn't. And I feel lucky and happy that the book is in the world. So were you able, did you find an agent? Did it find readers right away? How did, how did the whole, uh, how did you get published thing, which I'm, you know, it, it doesn't interest me as much as the writing, but people who watch the show always want to know because everyone's got that book in their own head. And Yes, yes. Um, so the way it happened for me was that my agent ended up finding me, which was great. Um, so I didn't have to go through the whole process of querying agents. She found me because I published an essay in the New York Times called Remembering When Brooklyn Was Mine, which was thematically really similar to Halsey Street, although it's about my life and the neighborhood I grew up in in Brooklyn, Fort Greene. Um, and so she found me and said, do you have a book? And I said, no, but I'd like to write one one day. And she said, let me know when you do. And we stayed in touch for a number of years. And then when she read the book, that's when we formalized our relationship and she agreed to represent me. That's wonderful. I'll have to look up that essay because um, to write an essay that has the element, so in the essay, there must've been the elements of this book and fiction in there as well as it being a personal essay which isn't always the easiest thing to combine and then of course there's the other side of that which is when people read the book they go oh this is you know it's autobiographical and i admit that i checked in with you before we started today about how much of this was autobiographical and it sounds like you took some elements but certainly penelope is not naima correct Penelope is not Naima, and the other protagonist, Mireya, is not Naima, um, and is not my mother. But um, it's an interesting thing to write a work of fiction. I primarily work in fiction because I do think this book is a deep representation of what I think about, what I worry about, what interests me, emotions. Um, but it's not uh, the story of my life in terms of events. Um, but it is uh, deeply personal creation. Um, and so it's not autobiographical, but there's nothing in this book that doesn't come from some deep place in me. How about the art part then? Because the, the I found the RISD part very interesting because since we're in Boston, right down the road from Providence, um, and we also have a school called Mass Art here, which is similar to RISD, but not as prestigious. So when you walk around Providence, you can tell the Brown students from the Johnson and Wales students there, the cooks and chefs, from the RISD students who are just weird. I mean, when, if someone's walking around Rhode Island and they're wearing like AstroTurf, a dress made out of AstroTurf, you know they went to RISD. So how did you, you knew a lot about RISD or you did a lot of research about it. How did, how did that all come to you? 
Well, I'm, I'm glad that it seemed, I seem to pull it off to you. Um, so in terms of creating this experience for Penelope at RISD, I pulled from a lot of different sources. I pulled a little bit from my own life at Yale um, and sort of how it felt to be a woman of color there, to be a person from New York City there, um, to be someone that didn't come from a particularly wealthy family there. And so there was some of that in that experience. I have a number of friends who create art and who I deeply envy. I would have loved to draw or paint. Um, and so making Penelope an artist was a way for me to vicariously draw and paint. And so I sort of picked their brains for what their experiences had been in art school and an art class. And then I had a great friend and fellow writer read the draft and her job was just to sort of read it as a visual artist um, and wow. somebody familiar with the art world and let me know if I got it right and what I got wrong. Um, so, there, you know, I had to research different paintbrushes and watch videos <laughs> of people painting to figure out how to describe sort of the movements. Um, but that was a lot of fun. Um, and you know, a way that I couldn't just metaphorize what it's like to write fiction. Like I couldn't come up with a metaphor for holding a brush in your hand that describes something about writing fiction. I had to actually figure out what that's like. That's interesting because I know that um, my last author who was on for the August show uh, is, was an ex-military man who writes basically history. And you know, history is research, it's facts, but I think in fiction, we underestimate how much research actually has to be done to make fiction ring true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that for this book, the kind of research I did was really just having a lens on all the time to absorb what I needed. So if I went to a museum with a friend, it also became an opportunity for me to pay attention to the art and the way the art was described, or when I was around people who are mothers and they were talking about their experiences of mothering, kind of collecting everything that I could to help me get into the mind of Mireya who has all different kinds of feelings about her identity as a mother. So it's sort of like being a detective too, I think, always absorbing what information you can. Did you have other people other than an artist friend who read the book and are you in a writer's group or anything like that? What's your support system? I wasn't in a formal writer's group, although I think increasingly about belonging to one, but I have a few trusted friends who read the book. I asked about six friends to read the book. Um, some of them are writers. Some of them are deeply engaged readers. Um, one of them writes film, and so he had a really good mind for ah. sort of structure and energy. Um, but I was really lucky to have people who I trusted read the book. Um, I went through it many, many times. It took different forms. And because it has two points of view, I wanted to make sure that it felt like a whole book and that they came together. Um, so I really rely and trust um, those readers. And um, did you do any kind of book tour at all? I did. I got to do about 20 different book events, which was really wonderful and unexpected. When the book was published, I didn't have much lined up. I had a couple of events lined up in North Carolina where I was living just a few months ago um, and in New York City. And then there was just this growing interest from bookstores and different community organizations and people who invited me to go and read. And I said yes. 
whenever I could, um, not taking lightly that anyone wanted to read the book because books are a big investment of time. Um, and so I got to go to Austin, Texas, and to Denver, um, and to San Francisco, and to all different kinds of lovely places in North Carolina and along the East Coast. And I was going to ask you, if you could think of one, the most memorable uh, reading or encounter with um, an audience that you had during your book tour, can you think of anyone that stands out for you? Yes. I mean, they've all been so special because something that I've learned on book tour is that people come with their stories um, to hear you read and are willing to share that because something about fiction just, I think, opens us up. So I've had uh, women in particular talk to me about feeling stuck at some point in their life and how the book gave them sort of a reflection of what it's like to feel stuck and to want to move forward, but to not quite make the choices that help you move forward um, and was encouraging to them. So I spoke at a university where a young woman came up to me and said, this is my first semester back after a long time away because of personal reasons and I feel like I've been stuck but I want to write and I want to get unstuck. Um, and that was really wonderful. So there to, you are yeah. unwittingly providing therapy through the writing of the book and then you're actually getting to meet readers. But speaking of reading, I'd like you to do a short reading for us right now if you wouldn't mind. Yes, I'd be happy to. Great. All right. So I'm going to read from Early in the book, this is after Penelope returns to Brooklyn and she's at a restaurant with her father, Ralph, and they're just talking about what they observe in the neighborhood. All right. Ralph swept back the yellow curtain to look out on the street. The leaves were turning red, the whole block ablaze. Across the street stood a barber shop that shared a storefront with a black bookstore. Next door, the hair salon spewed steam onto the street. The fried chicken spot, a jewelry shop with crucifixes and chains glittering on display, and the beauty supply store that blasted soca and flashed neon lights onto the sidewalk. This particular corner didn't have a view of any of the coffee shops that had opened farther east. They had plush furniture and abstract art on the walls, stainless steel espresso pumps. They were always crowded with young people in jeans and plaid typing away on their laptops. There were the bars too with a dozen local beers on tap and short menus that consisted mostly of nuts, pickles, cheese. Penelope could see the changes of course, but she still recognized the neighborhood. It wasn't like Fort Greene or Williamsburg, which were no longer themselves. Strangers still said hello to her as they lounged on their stoops at sundown. She still had to ignore the whistles from the young men who stood in front of the bodega for so long each day it was clear they were dealing. Church bells rang on the hour and floors thumped with praise for Jesus in the Baptist churches, the one-room Pentecostal churches, the regal AME tabernacles, worship never ceasing in Bed-Stuy. The horizon on Bedford Avenue was just as long the sirens of the police cars as persistent, the wheeze of the B-26 loud enough to wake her up at night. Ralph let the curtain fall over the window again and shook his head. Revitalization. They're revitalizing the neighborhood. He made big swoops with his fingers, 
quotation marks around the word revitalize. It's still Brooklyn, Pop. Maybe on the surface, but what about inside, hmm? Ralph gestured over his shoulder at the rest of the restaurant. Most of the other customers were talking over their lunches, nearly all of them white. They weren't the majority outside on Nostrin, but they were in here, congregated around the little tables. They were Penelope's age or younger, brightly colored peacoats draped over the backs of their chairs, pashmina scarves wound around their necks. A few of them had babies and strollers who pulled at their socked feet or napped. They didn't fuss, completely at ease in the busy restaurant. An older black couple sat near the back, sharing a slice of pie. The old woman wore a stiff box hat, and the man sat in his frayed wool coat. They ate without speaking, holding hands under the table. Besides the couple and the servers, she and Ralph were the only brown people in the cafe. It's a shame that making room for white folks means the rest of us have to go. But it's always been that way, hasn't it? That's it for now. Uh, so I think... I hope, viewers, that you understand why this book so captured me. Um, it's, you were, you, it's like painting, it's like painting a, a, a view the, in such a short um, number of words, but such well-selected words. You have a total picture of what it's like for them to be sitting there together in a place that used to be their home and, is, and the ground is shifting from under them. I, I think um, that I, I picked out that selection because it was so vivid to me. It was just like being in the room with them, scanning the room, and yet understanding what um, a lot of what Penelope and Ralph were feeling. So um, I thank you for the reading. It's it's just as as beautiful as I remembered when I read it, and it just gets to me every time. So what's um, what's next up for you? Are you going to continue to write like? A combination of essays and or is there another second uh, sophomore effort bubbling around yes I'm working on my second book right now um, it's set actually in North Carolina where I spent the last three years of my life and it centers on two families there and it's really similar thematically to Halsey Street it's about family and belonging and race and love um, and it's been really fun to dig into those themes with an entirely different cast of characters with their own complications and desires and um, strange qualities. And so I've been working on that. Um, and I like to keep essays cooking because they use a different part of my brain. Um, and I like how contained they are. Um, whereas working on a novel, the end is sort of never in sight until the very, very end. And so I like beginning and finishing things. And so that's partially why I write essays sort of for my own sanity, um, as well as because I enjoy reading them. Well, I hope you are at the point, I don't know, and it's kind of a personal question, that you can make a living wholly off your writing, um, or are you working, an, do you work at a different job as well, like a day job? So I'm writing full time right now, uh, and I don't know how long that will be the case. So I'm enjoying it as a golden time that I'm able to really devote myself to the writing. Um, I often teach, and so last year I was 
teaching full-time, teaching writing in a university full-time. I was doing that the year before, um, and that may be a part of my life again. I love working with students. Writing is so solitary that I find it really energizing um, and grounding to be in a room full of other people who believe that spending time moving words around on a page and making stuff up is valuable. And so I like being able to give to the students, but I also receive a lot from doing that. But right now I'm really fortunate and I can just focus on the next, on the next book. Well, I hope you, you will be able to do that forever because if you can devote yourself to writing, then we can look, keep looking forward to such wonderful books and essays from you. And I want, we're out of time. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show for uh, taking a stranger's email to heart and joining me today. Uh, thanks again, and we really look forward to your next book, and I hope you'll join me again when the next book is published. Yes, thank you so much for your time and for all of your kind words. They're no small thing. Thanks again, Naima. And so viewers, I just wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I hope you enjoyed uh, meeting Naima as much as I've uh, loved reading her books, and I hope you'll want to see her back again a second time at least. So thanks and have a good night and see you at the next book stew.